This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. This is our regular Friday segment with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Max has with him and us today a very special guest. The honor and pleasure of the introduction is yours, Mike. Max. Thanks, Bill. Uh, and we, I am very pleased to have President Marty Meehan, uh, president of the UMass system. I'll note the first alum um, to lead the UMass system. Marty, good morning. Good morning, Max. Great to be with you. Bill, great to be with you as well. We should also, of course, note that President Meehan heads the five campus system, was previously chancellor of the UMass Lowell campus, and, and then for 14 years was the a congressman from the, the fifth congressional district. So we're really glad to have you here and maybe we'll get back to your your uh, earlier roots in Congress because something big happened in DC just two days ago. We'd love to have your perspective. President Biden announced um, student debt cancellation of up to $20,000 for our neediest students. I wonder your thoughts on on that development, that action and what that means for UMass. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, absolutely thrilled about uh, about it. I think it's a terrific first step. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of different approaches to this. And, you know, uh, leading a public research university, I, I would like, you know, I would like to see is a look at different ways to deal with this. Uh, more attention paid to um, the debt of those who attend public colleges and universities. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, we offer uh, a great education at a reduced price, and and so it, basically, I'm, I'm thrilled with with uh, what they've done. I think it's a good first step. Um, I think it will impact uh, you know uh, working students, uh, working families everywhere, uh, all over the country. But um, but we still have to get at the core cost of higher education, and um, and and. You know, we, we I, I would like the federal government to play more of a role in in, um, in public higher education. I think the Pell Grant should be tripled. Um, I, I think that uh, we need to put more financial aid into it. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that we can make more progress. But this was a great first step and uh, very happy. What happens in Washington is folks need to figure out a way to compromise. And there was a lot of talk back and forth over the last uh, year or so, but I'm glad they got something done, and I think it's a great first step. So, if I could ask Marty, you you mentioned um, the first step. So, what? And you mentioned tripling the Pell grants. Are there other steps that we can take in Massachusetts? As you well know, Massachusetts Teachers Association that believes we should return to what we once had, which is a true debt-free public higher education system. So, what are those next steps that we can do, even as we're advocating for the federal government to do a lot more? Well, one of the things that uh, has been, well, we could pass the uh, fair share uh, legislation, and that would result in uh, an investment not just in the University of Massachusetts, but uh, uh, public universities all across the state. One of the challenges, Max, as you know, is that, uh, you know, in many states, um, the, the, the state picks up all the cost of buildings and labs, and, and, and uh, over the years, because uh, Massachusetts hasn't uh, been investing uh, the way other states have. We put uh, about uh, $3 billion in debt uh, to, uh, to build new buildings, uh, for deferred maintenance in buildings that we have within the UMass system. Um, I, I would love to get at that debt. I mean, if the state would take that debt over, uh, that, would, uh, that would be a tremendous uh, help. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I let me just ask to, if I could just interrupt because I'm not sure listeners yep. quite understand that these are state buildings, right? These are UMass buildings are state buildings. But you're saying that the campuses are essentially paying for their upkeep building and maintenance. Uh, is that is that correct? I don't think listeners quite understand that it's going to pay yeah, for campus yeah, by we, campus. Yeah. Over the last 20 years, uh, 25 years, uh, the University of Massachusetts has through its building authority, uh, taken on uh, significant debt by building buildings. Now, the state, uh, you know, there are many instances where the state is uh, providing, uh, you know, providing some assistance on buildings, but 70% of the cost uh, of, uh, of new buildings actually comes from the campuses, which means it comes from students. Uh, and in many states, Maryland, for example, California, uh, in many states that invest in a big way in public higher education, 
Uh, the state does that. If you go to the University of Connecticut and you see that uh, the amount of money that uh, Connecticut put into uh, UConn in the physical um, uh, the physical uh, campus, uh, it's extraordinary, and it was all done by the state. So what has happened in, a, in, in an effort for UMass to keep up with our peer institutions, we've had to invest uh, our own money, our own campus money. And when I say our own campus money, I mean students pay for it. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting, Max, whenever I go to a, uh, you know, an opening of a new building, I always make sure that I say how much money uh, is being borrowed for the particular building and what that means uh, in terms of uh, students pay that, that debt back. Now, we are going to have an event uh, that uh, Governor Baker is coming out to. The governor is providing uh, $75 million for a new computer science building for UMass Amherst, and we're thrilled to be getting it. And uh, Chancellor Subhaswamy and I and others worked hard uh, with the uh, Western Mass delegation to, to make that happen. Uh, so we, we're constantly trying to trying to get money to help with deferred maintenance and upkeep. But the bottom line is we've got $3 billion in debt because the university has had to take on many of these things on its own. President Mann, I'd like to go back for just a second before we leave the topic of uh, the uh, ten and $20,000 student uh, debt uh, uh, forgiveness from uh, President Biden and his administration. What does that mean, if anything, for students currently at the university? Are students now going to, who are there presently going to take on new debt? Are they going to end up back in the same situation as students who they have could. That, that's Yeah, Bill, that's part of the challenge here. Uh, it, it, it takes uh, folks who have student debt presently, but it doesn't really get at the fundamental approach of how we fund public higher education in this country. Uh, but in particular, you know, Massachusetts. I mean, Massachusetts is a state that historically um, has underfunded public higher education in large part due to the fact that, you know, the philosophy 30 years ago was that uh, we have these great private institutions in Massachusetts. Why do we need a world-class public research university? But the, the fact of the matter is, fewer and fewer Massachusetts residents go to, uh, let's take the top eight, Harvard, MIT, uh, Tufts, uh, WPI, um, uh, Brandeis, BC, BU, Northeastern. If you look at who those institutions accept, the number of students from Massachusetts over the last 30 years has declined by about 70%. So it's the University of Massachusetts, it's a public research university that educates uh, folks from Massachusetts. So it's really important, I think, that, uh, that we find a way to fund, uh, to fund, uh, public higher education. I can tell you my own experience, Bill, I, uh, uh, I attended the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and I paid my way through, uh, through working on weekends and summers. I paid my way all, all the way through. I didn't have any debt. I think when Max says we have to get back, that's what we need to get back to. We, we, we need to get back to a system where, where a student could work part-time or work in summers and be able to pay for their education. So, Marty Meehan, president of the UMass system, thanks, thanks so much. Let's, let, I want to take us to one of the solutions you just brought up. Uh, we've talked about the huge problem of student debt, which, but then you, which is related, of course, to the campus debt, having to pay for the buildings that were once campus buildings. And you also mentioned support for um, one of the solutions, which is ahead of us in, I think, like 74 days, which is the fair share amendment, question one on the ballot on November 8th. And for those of you who don't know who are listening, that is a tax um, on income above $1 million a year, a, a slight surcharge, 4% surcharge, only on income above $1 million a year with the proceeds, upwards of $2 billion, going to public schools, public colleges and universities, and roads, bridges, and public transportation. So tell us why you, you support that and why that um, is potentially a transformative event for the UMass system. Well, part of my job is to make sure that I support any effort to that uh, would result in the University of Massachusetts getting uh, more assistance. I, our goal is to try to, you know, keep the university uh, affordable and and also keep it excellence. In other words, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that UMass Amherst is ranked so highly. I like the fact that so many of their uh, uh, programs and and, and so many. Uh, of the of the faculty members are literally world class. We need to make sure 
that if somebody comes to the University of Massachusetts, they get a world-class education. And, and there's a lot of competition to attract faculty. There's a lot of competition uh, to, uh, to have the best facilities you can have, the best labs that you can have. So I, I know what a UMass education did for me. And, uh, you know, I think, the, I think the legislature and the governor recognize this. I got to tell you that uh, Senator Joe uh, Comerford, uh, Mindy Dome, the representative, and the, the entire Western Mass delegation, I, I think they get it. They, they, and I think they're all supporting uh, the first year legislation. So, uh, look, if we can get um, if we can get an infusion of resources to help lower the cost, of uh, students attending UMass, uh, I'm all for that, and I think it's uh, long overdue. And um, and uh, you know, I think UMass has done a good job of trying to keep costs. Uh, you know, we 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 we've done all kinds of things to be, become more efficient to buy uh, utilities uh, as a uh, as a system. Uh, procurement has been reformed to save money, but the fact of the matter is, we need more public support. Now you've mentioned um, the needing to have a state if we if and when we win a fair share um, is to help pay for some of the buildings and release some of the debt, help continue to get us um, a step closer to true debt free public higher education. Are there other priorities for that money? Because I think when we win, I will say, and the MTA has put a lot of money and staff time into winning this, we're going to have to make sure that a fair share of the fair share goes to public higher education. Are there other priorities that you see um, for the for those monies? Um, I think financial aid to students is really, really important. And uh, since I've been president, I've increased the amount of money we put into finance, need-based financial aid to students uh, by 60 percent, uh, which means that the revenue that comes in from tuition, we, we put a certain portion of it aside uh, for financial aid, but that's really an area where, where we need a real boost. Um, you know, it, it, it need-based financial aid is, is something that I think can go a long way to uh, making sure that e- even if the sticker price is higher, we, I want to get to a point where, where very few students pay the sticker price. In other words, if students get financial aid, that results in them not having to borrow. So I think need-based financial aid is a priority. I think at the Amherst campus, the priority is is to be able to hire more faculty. I mean, I think Chancellor Subhaswamy is looking at, you know, the the challenges of uh, maintaining, you know, uh, uh, high rankings, and uh, you need to invest in order in order to maintain excellence. So I also would like to see a portion invested in in excellence and making sure that UMass uh, remains, you know, a, a world class. Uh, university with a with a world-class reputation and demographics are going to be tough in higher education over the next seven to ten years so the competition for students will be intense and uh, that's that's one of the reasons why i'm a big advocate for uh, umass maintaining excellence and investing even more in in making sure that we're committed to excellence and high quality education what, what do you mean president mean when you say the demographics are tough uh, there are going to be fewer high school students graduating from the northeastern part of the country. Uh, we've already seen uh, that uh, downward trend. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the small private colleges in New England, uh, many of them have been closing because of the challenges with demographics, where some of the small privates are discounting at very, very high rates in order to attract students. Uh, that's going to continue. Uh, it simply have not been enough. Uh, children being born over a period of time, fewer students graduating from high school, and it's going to put pressure uh, because there won't be as many college students. And what research and data has shown is to the extent that a university uh, has a high-quality reputation for, uh, for excellence, uh, that's one of, the, one of the ways to keep make sure uh, students want to attend that university. I'm just saying the competition both among public and privates are going to be is going to be very intense uh, over the next seven to ten years. We're talking to President Marty Meehan of the five campus UMass system. Marty, I will say the one thing that you've actually highlighted that there are other students out there. There are, for instance, the hundreds of thousands of students who have gotten some credit at a public college or university in Massachusetts, but not actually finished. And furthermore, if we're able to lower 
the cost or or and lower the debt and you know head towards debt free public higher ed we may find new students who felt like they couldn't take on college because they didn't want to take on the debt actually say yeah you know what yeah. i can imagine going to a college or university in in massachusetts absolutely look that's one of the big challenges we have and you know you're engaged with uh, k through 12 education and uh, it's really important that 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 students who attend schools in Massachusetts recognize the fact that college is something that's attainable. Uh, all the data still shows that uh, students who go to college have a higher likelihood of uh, of successful lives and being able to achieve their full potential in whatever they want to do with their lives. So uh, that's true, Max. I think it'll put us in a much stronger position uh, to the extent that we could become uh, debt-free uh, more students would realize that they could they could afford to go to college, and uh, we've seen the, the point that you mentioned, Max. There are uh, there are uh, millions of people in New England who have some college credit but don't have a college degree, and and, and that's a that's a group of people that we have to do a more effective job of reaching out to them, giving them their credit, and then helping them attain their, their degrees. I have a question. Does the fair share amendment give the opportunity for Massachusetts high schools to actually make a larger pool of uh, uh, college qualified graduates available to the system? Is that going to be one of the effects if we have enough money or more money for K to 12 that that's going to just be benefit the entire system starting from, well, pre-K all the way through the uh, undergraduate level? Well, I, I think that it would. I think it would result in more students being qualified uh, and, and interested in going uh, to college afterwards. Uh, we've, uh, uh, we've seen that, uh, in, particularly in different fields, you know, you, you can't, let's take engineering. Uh, you know, we have a great engineering program at UMass Amherst uh, and, a, and a good one at UMass Lowell. You can't produce an engineer in four years, for example. Um, uh, a student has to come to the university at, at having prepared uh, in K through 12 for being ready to take on an engineering program, and prepared uh, to pass calculus and physics and things like that. So I think the more investment you make in K through 12, the result is going to be uh, more folks that are ready, more students that are ready to come to college, that are qualified to come to college, and they're ready to meet the rigors of, uh, of a college education. But but I would also say that the, the cost of college is a, is a major impediment. Uh, Max articulated that, uh, that the cost, the sticker price of what it costs to go to even a public college or university oftentimes uh, has students who are in a high school thinking, I can't afford that. There's no way that I could, there's no way that I could go. Uh, so, so I think reducing the debt or eliminating the debt um, would also go a long way. I would like to add that, you know, in doing research on the history of our campus, and I teach obviously, you know, at, at UMass Amherst, is that when it was founded, um, one of those founders said, it, sh it should be, this is a quote, um, it should be as close to free as possible. So this is a not a newfangled, wild leftist idea. This is an idea that goes back to 1863 um, when the university was founded that this should be extremely accessible to working people in Massachusetts. And that's something we've unfortunately moved a little further away from because of state funding cuts. So let me, if I could just yeah, turn, you know. That's exactly right, Max. The Mall Act was intended and signed into law by Abraham Lincoln. The intention was that, the, that a college education had to be accessible to everyone. And, and that the United States could only succeed if everyone got an opportunity. Because before 1863, uh, college education was something that uh, only, only the wealthy and the elite. Uh, that was the whole idea of establishing uh, public land-grant universities. That's right. So let me ask you one more question, though. The, uh, when we win the fair share amendment on November 8th, come November 9th, there will be celebrations. But then actually, um, as you well know, having advocated for public higher ed funding for many years, that in some ways is when the real hard work begins. Do you have hope that the, uh, the legislature and a new governor, that might be Maura Healy, 
um, will be ready to um, invest, make a transformational investment in public higher ed? And what needs to happen from the board of trustees, from your office, from the unions, from students and parents to make that finally happen? Yeah, we have to join together and 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 lobby because I will tell you, in my experience over the years, and when I was a student leader in the '70s on the UMass Lowell campus, I went to the state house and and I've been at this a long time, and and there are a lot of there are a lot of priorities in state government, whether it's transportation, K through 12, you know, local aid, all of those things. But it seems to me that too often public higher education uh, in Massachusetts has taken a backseat to all these other interests. So one of the things I think we're going to have to do is be very, very aggressive in terms of making sure that public higher education gets its fair share. I have uh, <clears throat> I've met with um, uh, the Attorney General, Maura Healy, uh, and talked to her about the importance of, of UMass uh, to the Commonwealth, uh, to the economy. I've talked about the you know, $7.5 billion statewide economic impact uh, that, that UMass has, you know, the research enterprise that's driving innovation, uh, a $752 million research enterprise with the third largest employer. And I think uh, Maura Healy uh, fundamentally understands it, and I think she thinks that it's important to support public higher education. So I expect that uh, she would be a, um, uh, and I do expect her to be governor, not to put my political hat on, but uh, uh, I expect Maura Healy to be the next governor. And uh, and I think uh, in my conversations with her, I think that she's fully committed to making sure that uh, a high-quality education is accessible to everyone. We have just one more question um, for you, Marty Meehan, president of the UMass system. Um, something very immediate, which is that, as you well know, the legislature left without passing a major economic development bill and nestled in there were contracts for the faculty at UMass Amherst and the clerical staff at UMass Boston. Can you give us an update and what you might be doing to help move that along so that when school starts in the coming days uh, and that those those contracts that are now, you know, two years old get funded? Yeah, we uh, we have been all over the, both the uh, House and Senate Ways and Means Committee uh, it's not these contracts or these items that are important to the university that's really holding it up. It's a broader issue of a, uh, you know, a $3 billion uh, issue about, uh, you know, as you know, a law that was passed a, a while ago and whether or not, you know, they did a tax cut um, and now there's a $3 billion that, that are supposed to go back and the House and the Senate have had uh, real disagreements uh, about it. Um, I can tell you that the uh, Western Mass delegation has been great. We're in constant touch with Senator Comerford and uh, Representative Dome and the other members of the Western Mass delegation, and um, we're working it, and, and it's really important. And, um, you know, we, 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 we have to make sure that these contracts are funded and, and make sure that um, it's done as quickly as possible. I'm, I'm hopeful, Max, that we'll see some progress on this uh, towards the end, end of this month, early uh, September. I, I, I think we're going to get some progress on it. Well, that's good we're to hear. And, I, and I'm really glad and thank you very much. We've been talking with President Marty Meehan. Thanks so much for, for sharing your insights. And I think, frankly, it, um, the, an optimistic view on what is possible when we win the fair share amendment and when we have a new governor and legislature about what could happen um, for the UMass system and frankly, all of public higher ed. Well, I look forward to uh, the, the legislation passing and then uh, uh, the, the amendment passing and then uh, we go on from there. By the way, back just as a closer, uh, I've seen the ads. The ads are very good. This is a very effective campaign in my view. Well, thank you very much. Yes, those are good. We're really pleased about them. Again, thanks very yep. much, Marty Meehan. It's been good to talk to you. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, President Meehan. Really appreciate your time. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, 
the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, this is Nick Seaman from the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst. We're now open seven days a week from 8 a.m. And we have live music every Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 1. We continue to make our great sandwiches, bake our wonderful croissants, Danish breads and desserts, and brew Dean's Beans organic coffee. We also have a freezer full of entrees to go that will help you simplify your life. And if you're having a party, let us know how we can help you make it a success. Just call our catering department to talk about menu options. On a political note, always remember that the Second Amendment says, quote, well-regulated. Make sure you call your congressman and senator and demand that they do their jobs. We're the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst, having fun with food and politics since 1986. Save 30% at WHMP.com. But what are we drinking in the wine bunker today? Random white wine. Yes. All right. Hello, I'm Random White Guy, and I'm going to be drinking Random White Wine. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The first one here is the uh, Gomez Cruzado from the Haro region of Rioja, and this is a white wine. Now, most people might be familiar with Viora, but this is also blended with 25% Tempranillo Blanco. I always forget that that's even a thing. Don't we all? The first sip almost seems puckering dry, but it really rounds out. A couple more sips into it, it and it is lush and creamy. But it's not so creamy without acid. There's like a, there is yeah. a little bit of acid in there. When it's too creamy, I get really bored, and it's like what they call flabby, but with the acid, it braces it, and it makes it really yeah, good. This, this I want like scallops. You mean scallops? I don't care. I want them. I care. Scallops. There we go. Thank you. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. This week's Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their Holyoke restaurant. Eat and drink on Slancha's patio, high up on Jarvis Avenue, with a view of Holyoke and beyond. Good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily. They say it on the old sod, and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. There was a lot of important news, both national and local, yesterday. Uh, front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Sheriff's, Sheriff Hopeful's face-off in last form, a really interesting and lengthy article by Ryan Steele. I recommend that you read it at gazettenet.com or pick up the actual physical newspaper, the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Love the story about town hall visitor causes kerfuffle. First Amendment auditor, in quotes, or I guess you can't put air quotes in a physical paper, but if you could, the word auditor would have those air quotes. First Amendment auditor posts interactions with town employees on YouTube. That was interesting. These people go and uh, videotape town officials and uh, public officials who uh, they have every right to be in the building and to be recording, and sometimes, well, People say, what are you doing here? And why? No, I, you can't be here. This is not what happened in Amherst, although it's really interesting what happened. It's worth, it is worth the read. And then there's one other matter that has not received much national publicity, um, and I think it is worth noting. This is on page 15 of the New York Times today. Oklahoma rejecting clemency guidance executes a murderer. Oklahoma executed a man on Thursday for killing a co-worker in 1997. In doing so, the governor rejected the recommendation of a state pardon board as it carried out the first in a series of, get this, the first in a series of 25 executions scheduled over the next 28 months, an execution a month in Oklahoma. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. There's a pale horse coming. 
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Governor Baker announced plans to file legislation for significant investments in school safety initiatives for training and resources across the state. These investments will expand on the Baker-Polito administration's commitment to deliver a safe and secure learning environment for all Massachusetts students. The proposal includes grants for security and communication upgrades in K-12 and public higher education institutes, grant funding for child care provider safety measures, grant funding for a pilot anonymous tip line to report potential threats, funding for a Say Something campaign, emergency response training for school officials, and creation of a school safety website. Jurors in an Athol man's murder trial took to the roads yesterday. Six sites that will be mentioned in the trial were visited by 16 jurors being driven around by bus. Keith Hamill of Athol is accused of killing 26-year-old Lemonster woman in November 2019. According to the Greenfield Recorder, the state alleges Hamill, who had a girlfriend, killed Kelsey Clifford, who had a boyfriend, to get access to her cell phone to delete evidence of a sexual encounter between the two. And calling themselves the biggest and best little fair in the country. The Cummington Fair kicked off yesterday and runs through Sunday. Tonight and tomorrow, it's the Stony Roberts Demolition Derby. On Sunday, the Golden Wedding Contest will be held at 2 p.m. The contest for couples married 50 years or more awards plaques for those married the longest with the most children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Good morning, I'm Nick Oresco. Scattered showers and storms developing late morning and into the afternoon. Some storms could produce heavy rain and strong winds with localized flooding possible. Humid with temperatures in the mid to upper 80s. Storms should be out by 9 p.m. The weekend looking mostly dry and not as warm with highs in the low 80s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochevega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Un juez ordenó el jueves al Departamento de Justicia que hiciera pública una versión redactada de la declaración jurada en la que se basó cuando los agentes federales registraron la propiedad del expresidente Donald Trump en Florida en busca de documentos clasificados. La directiva del juez magistrado de Estados Unidos, Bruce Reinhardt, se produjo horas después de que los funcionarios federales encargados de hacer cumplir la ley presentaran bajo sello las partes de la declaración jurada que quieren mantener en secreto a medida que avanza la investigación. El juez fijó como fecha límite el viernes al mediodía para una versión redactada o tachada del documento. La orden significa que el público pronto podría obtener al menos algunos detalles adicionales sobre lo que llevó a los funcionarios del FBI a registrar Mar-a-Lago el 8 de agosto como parte de una investigación sobre documentos clasificados retenidos en la propiedad de Palm Beach. Los documentos que ya se hicieron públicos como parte de la investigación muestran que el FBI recuperó de la propiedad 11 juegos de documentos clasificados incluida información marcada en el nivel de alto secreto. En otras informaciones, la secretaria de la ciudad de Holyoke, Brenna Murphy-McGee, anunció el miércoles que a partir de este sábado 27 de agosto, iniciará la votación anticipada en persona para la elección primaria del Estado. De igual forma, este sábado es el último día para registrarse para votar para las elecciones primarias del Estado. La oficina de la secretaria municipal estará abierta para la votación anticipada y el registro de votantes de 9 de la mañana a 5 de la tarde. La votación anticipada también se llevará a cabo el domingo de 9 de la mañana a 1 de la tarde y el lunes hasta el viernes de 8.30 de la mañana a 4.30 de la tarde. La elección primaria estatal se llevará a cabo el martes 6 de septiembre de 2022. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. A lot of coverage in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette about the race for sheriff, more specifically the Democratic nomination for the position of sheriff, which will in fact decide who will be the sheriff for the coming six years in Hampshire County. There is no Republican running, so the Democratic uh, primary will, as a practical matter, decide this race. On the opinion page of the Gazette today are a number of letters regarding the sheriff's race. The, lead, the first letter is from Marilyn Glazer, who is a uh, director, who is the director of the Intensive English Institute and World Language Institute at Middlesex Community College. She wrote a letter in support of Yvonne Gittleson, who is running for sheriff, and uh, reports on her interactions with the candidates. There is a second letter. 
Elaine is the Choice for Sheriff, written by Linda Desmond, a longtime political uh, person here in Northampton. I think the third letter, interesting the way it's placed, not so prominently, but the name is very prominent. And the third letter, under the heading, Elaine is the seasoned professional we need, signed by David Sullivan, Northwestern District Attorney, who said that he has had the interaction and rights. He's the opportunity to interact with the Hampshire County Jail and House of Corrections over the past 33 years as a criminal defense lawyer, as a family court administrator, and as district attorney. And he says, I've seen the constant evolution and innovation in this correctional facility, uh, supporting uh, Pat Kaylane uh, in his bid to be reelected sheriff of Hampshire County. On the front page, Sheriff Hopeful's face-off in last form Large picture of the uh, three candidates, uh, Patrick Kaelin, uh, Caitlin Cepeda, uh, and Yvonne Gittleson, the three candidates running in the September 6th Democratic primary. Big picture, big headline, Sheriff Hopeful's face-off in last form. The story goes into this, uh, the report goes into this story that's a little hard for me to follow and about a sign and signs and a state car. and Here's uh, what WHMP was reporting yesterday. Yeah, let's get this Hampshire straight. County Sheriff Patrick Kalane, inve- the sheriff's department investigating, which is also very strange, claims of a suspicious vehicle. The Gazette also reporting a woman had driven by the home of a Hampshire County jail employee, so hired by the sheriff, or, you know, the sheriff is the direct supervisor, several times and taken photos of this house and yard the police reports filed indicate that the car was a black SUV with government plates. The employee thinks this was a result of a lawn sign he has in support of Caitlin Cepeda. And then, in a separate incident in Goshen, 12 lawn signs showing support for another one of Sheriff Kaylane's competitors, Yvonne Gittleson, and Cepeda were stolen. Kaylane said an investigation into the matter will be conducted, likely by an outside party, to ensure the public trusts the outcome. And... You know, the, the whole situation of this entire race is fascinating because, A, there were three and now two people running against the sitting sheriff, Patrick Kaylane, all three of whom worked under that sheriff at that particular jail. Now, is this an October surprise? Is this political malfeasance? Is this, you know, some sort of drama just so that we're talking about this story in a way that seems like it implies that the sheriff could have some shenanigans underway? Or are there shenanigans underway? And why is the sheriff's department the one looking into this, not the police department? Well, the police department's free, obviously, to, uh, to investigate, and I assume has been contacted and has done what is customary and appropriate uh, when there are these kinds of uh, reports made. Uh, and uh, I, I do think it's worth noting, in fairness to the sheriff, that uh, when he was called by the Gazette, I think this was in yesterday's Gazette, he said, that's the first I've heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and he also, his, his first reaction, I think, was also, and it would be an outside investigator, to which his opponents say, well, great, that'll happen after the election. How, uh, what's good is that going to do? But then on the other hand, let's say that there is no there there. Now, all of a sudden, the, uh, the implication is that the sheriff or somebody is involved in these shenanigans, and there's no way to exonerate yourself. Well... So that's why there's no, this is a lose-lose situation for everyone, I think. It, it's either, you know terrible because people's First Amendment rights are being infringed upon, or there was some sort of conspiracy against those other candidates. Or some, or some person off on a uh, uh, rogue kind of... Uh, right. Or this is an the, October surprise. There's nothing there, and it's just to uh, try to take away some of the support that may exist for the sheriff. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to know what this is about, and it's hard to know whether... But, but there's no indication, I think in fairness I would say, there's no indication that the sheriff has any involvement. I mean, there's no personal involvement. Um, on the other hand, it's not impossible, based on this report, that somebody did something wrong. But it's really a difficult story to wrap your mind around. Monty, thank you. Well, we'll be right back. We have Heartbeat coming up right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. Picture perfect days in the valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots. Check out the new and expanded bar area, or dine outside on the patio. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday starting at 9 a.m. and serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And don't forget about Sunday brunch and live music every Thursday and Sunday. The Bridgeside Grill, right in the heart of downtown Sunderland. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Art Beat with Donabelle Cassis, who has with her and us today a very special guest. Donabelle, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I am trying to find ways to soak up the last bits of summer. This Sunday, August 28th at 10 Ford in Greenfield, there will be a feast of sights and sounds with a terrific lineup of performances. And today we are joined by George Myers, who put this event together. Welcome. Hey, Donald, how are you? Great, thanks. Wow, you know, I looked at the lineup for this Sunday and it is packed with wondrous things. First of all, George, Please tell us a little bit about 10 Forward, which is such a cool venue in your role in this. Yeah, so 10 Forward is a, a, a really wonderful sort of um, all-purpose art space up in Greenfield. It's a, you know, it's a nightclub, uh, but they also do uh, art and music installations, karaoke, open mics, all kinds of performances. And I, I've seen uh, all those things and more there myself as a viewer. And uh, this show came to me um, the band Hector, and it's actually a funny story, but I played a show about 22 years ago. What? Um, yeah, <laughs> I was on tour in Northern California and a guy who I didn't know, um, this is pre-internet, there was like a book of resources. He set up a show for me and uh, we stayed connected over the years through social media. And he just wrote to me and said, hey, I have a, a good friend, like great music who needs a show in your area. And my brain said, oh, Ryan set up a show for me 22 years ago, so I have to I have to pay that back. 
so I said I said yes sight unseen or sight unheard or hurt heard and uh and then I listened to the music and I was just totally blown away by it. So I said, okay, let me let me make sure we, we make this special and, and really set her up with a great show. So uh yeah, Hectorine came, is coming from the West Coast through a, an old friend. Um and uh I what, really what, I mean, what who is Hectorine? Like I know this is uh, supposed to be a solo set, but yeah, she usually plays with the group. Her music is really like she doesn't say it in a lot of her press. I'm guessing she's tired of the, of the comparisons, but it sounds a lot like Nico. She has a really similar voice. Uh, a lot of the sensibilities of the music are, are of that sort of early 70s um, sort of production values. And it's it's just really, really beautiful and sort of otherworldly. Um, mm. But she, yeah, she usually plays with a really sparse stripped down band, but she's playing solo. Um, and who's this? This is Sarah Gagnon, right? This is her yeah. music project. Awesome. Yeah. From the Bay Area. Very exactly. cool. Yeah. And then uh, joining her will be uh, a duo called Oloculus, who, uh, you know, to put it simply, are sort of a dance duo, but they sort of work, um, you know, with space and bodies and, and, and integrate a lot of other aspects to their, to their performances. Um, some explicitly political stuff and other things are just really beautiful uh, to watch and be immersed in. Um, so we're really thrilled to have them. And, and they yeah, Lock, I mean, Loculus um, Dance Collective, they're semi-local or they were sort of originated locally. Yeah, they have local roots. I think actually both of them are back in the area now, but they had been teaching in sort of university settings and, and doing workshops and things all across the country for the last few years. I think COVID may have played a part in them ending up back here. So they, they're somewhat local, yeah. Yeah, well, f I thought they're from like the five college. Yeah, sort of. that's I think their origins, and I think now that they're they're both back here somewhat permanently. Mm. Uh, and then the other group is actually one I'm a part of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like to talk about myself or promote myself, but um, it's primarily a you know a visual um, effort. My friend Dan is a collector of sort of obscure and antiquated and broken down. Um, video technology a lot of stuff that is like discarded from cable access stations and and uh really where do you get that stuff he i mean he is obs an obsessive collector so he you know tag sales craigslist free piles um, nice and so he has just all these old vhs um sort of some home home equipment and um vhs recorders and other things so he'll be doing live video mixing along with like some overhead projectors uh, and then I'll be providing a live soundtrack to that. We used to use some um, some equipment that converted video uh, audio to video, but um, it's like some five hundred dollar Atari unit that is not. Working. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Atari, you're bringing flashbacks here. Yeah. But I mean, I'm really interested in the title. You guys are called Omega Mansions. Omega yeah. Mansions. Yeah, What's that little, all about? It's a little bit of a play on word from Omega Man, which is one of our favorite movies. Uh, but also, you know, um, yeah, again, it's a, sort of a slightly political nudge that, you know, the idea that the end of mansions, is, you know, it's, yeah, it's just sort of a play on words, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's primarily derived from the 70s um, science fiction uh, apocalyptic film. Nice, nice. And so there, there's also going to be sort of a in between setting the scene ambient music tell us a little bit about that yeah so our friend chris he goes under the name other layers he prim primarily makes uh ambient but a lot of other kinds of music and he's going to be djing some stuff of his that's like unreleased stuff and then just playing other people's music to provide a, sort of a soundtrack and um yeah the part partially hectorine's music sort of elicits that feeling it feels like the ambience of being outside and there's sort of an ethereal uh element to it that I wanted there to, to sort of carry through the night. So I, I asked Chris to come in and just, I was initially going to ask him, I was like, can you just play like uh, soundtracks of water? And then I was going to project like aquariums on the walls, but <laughs> I was like, let me dial it back a little. <laughs> I don't want it to feel too much like a, a cult or something. It just oh, a, no. a nice night of music and art. <laughs> so yeah oh my gosh well tell us how do people get in on this i know it's it's this weekend it's sunday the 28th where is it how much is it i know there's a special thing for the first 20 people yeah so there's a poster like a, a spray paint stencil kind of like a silkscreen poster for the first 20 or so people that show up the venue is in greenfield downtown greenfield um it's uh 
I'm forgetting Mesa Verde is the name of the restaurant that's above it. So if you know where that is, it's, it's right there, but it's right in the downtown strip, right by on the way to Energy Park. Um, you can it's go on 10th Ten Fisk Avenue in case people haven't been there. It's called Ten Ford. Yep. And uh, Ten Ford has a site. There is an event page on Facebook. If you look up Hectorine, um, you'll be able to find it there. And um, and yeah, it's at eight o'clock, and it's a ten dollars sliding scale. If you don't have the ten dollars, still show up. It's not a problem. Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. The venue is is fully accessible. There's an elevator, so if you're in a wheelchair, it is in a basement. But if you're in a wheelchair, otherwise can't negotiate stairs, um, you can take the elevator down. Tell me a little bit about the poster, because I know, you know, I don't get to see your art very much, but this poster looks pretty cool. And for radio, give us a little description. <laughs> Same thing. Again, I was I was just, oh, thank you. It's really nice. And I, I haven't been able to make them much recently, so it was nice to be able to get to make the poster again. But it's, um, it's really meant to feel really, you know, it's like a tea kettle boiling out a bunch of uh, steam and the band's names are all in that. And it's nice. yes, it's different stencils spray painted in there to kind of feel. Um, yeah, so if so, you're like one of the first 20 at the door, you get one yes. of these posters, do you sign yes. it? Are you signing it, George? You know, I, I complain whenever I get art that I make people sign art that I buy <laughs> and I, I scold them and I, I have not signed those. So I, I will sign and number them now. Take my own <laughs> advice in, in your wisdom. <laughs> oh my gosh, George, I can't wait to see this show. It looks so exciting. And what a way to end the month of October. I mean, August. <laughs> you are ahead of yourself. <laughs> Don't rush us. <laughs> it's coming soon enough. Donovan, stop. If you, me, if you told me it was December, <laughs> I would be like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> You've already taken me to another place, another month. All right, George Myers, thank you so much for putting the show together, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Abel. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you, George. Thank you, Donovan. Monty, what other things going on this weekend we should know about? Yeah, the uh, Harvest Supper returns to downtown Greenfield. It's a free meal that has been going on for 18 years, COVID and some other hurricanes aside, founded by Juanita Nelson, the great local oh, activist. Yeah years ago and now taken over by Stone uh, Soup Cafe, which meets right around the corner, has a weekly meal. Uh, tomorrow in Goshen, the Lady and the Amp Festival It is the culmination of a summer's worth of camps from the Institute for Musical Arts there uh, with June Millington, the legendary guitar player and performer from nice. Fanny oh, really? performing. Um, wow. She and her partner, Ann Hackler, founded that institute years ago. Uh, Evelyn Harris will be performing at that as well as Aaron McKeown. So, yes, as Donabelle was saying, we are in the waning days of summer. And when it's not waning outside, there's uh, <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of stuff to do. There is. Thank you so much, Monty. Thank you, Donabelle. Thank you, George. It's been a great show. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you back here next Thank week. Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to protect the developing brain. NorthamptonPrevents.org Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Vacan Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Vacan's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock.